0: American Notes, chapter five.--This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Phillipone. American Notes by Charles Dickens, chapter five.--Worcester, the Connecticut River, Hartford, New Haven, to New York. Leaving Boston on the afternoon of Saturday the fifth of February, we proceeded by another railroad to Worcester, a pretty New England town, where we had arranged to remain under the hospitable roof of the governor of the state until monday morning these towns and cities of new england many of which would be villages in old england are as favourable specimens of rural america as their people are of rural americans the well-trimmed lawns and green meadows of home are not there and the grass compared with our ornamental plots and pastures is rank and rough and wild But delicate slopes of land, gently swelling hills, wooded valleys, and slender streams abound. Every little colony of houses has its church and schoolhouse peeping from among the white roofs and shady trees. Every house is the whitest of the white. Every Venetian blind the greenest of the green. Every fine day's sky the bluest of the blue. A sharp dry wind and a slight frost had so hardened the roads that when we alighted at Worcester and their furrowed tracks were like ridges of granite. There was the unusual aspect of newness on every object, of course. All the buildings looked as if they had been built and painted that morning and could be taken down on Monday with very little trouble. In the keen evening air every sharp outline looked a hundred times sharper than ever. The clean cardboard colonnades had no more perspective than a Chinese bridge on a teacup and appeared equally well calculated for use. The razor-like edges of the detachable cottages seemed to cut the very wind as it whistled against them, and to send it smarting on its way with a shriller cry than before. Those slightly built wooden dwellings, behind which the sun was setting with a brilliant luster, could be so looked through and through that the idea of any inhabitant being able to hide himself from the public gaze or to have any secrets from the public eye was not entertainable for a moment even where a blazing fire shone through the uncurtained windows of some distant house it had the air of being newly lighted and of lacking warmth and instead of awakening thoughts of a snug chamber bright with faces that first saw the light round that same hearth and ruddy with warm hangings It came upon one suggestive of the smell of new mortar and damp walls. So I thought, at least, that evening. Next morning, when the sun was shining brightly and the clear church bells were ringing, and sedate people in their best clothes enlivened the pathways near at hand and dotted the distant thread of road, there was a pleasant Sabbath peacefulness on everything, which it was good to feel. It would have been better for an old church, better still for some old graves, but as it was, a wholesome repose and tranquillity pervaded the scene, which, after the restless ocean and the hurried city, had a doubly grateful influence on the spirits. We went on next morning, still by railroad, to Springfield, from that place to Hartford, whither we were bound. It is a distance of only five-and-twenty miles, but at that time of the year the roads were so bad that the journey would probably have occupied ten or twelve hours. Fortunately, however, The winter having been unusually mild, the Connecticut River was open, or, in other words, not frozen. The captain of a small steamboat was going to make his first trip for the season that day, the second February trip, I believe, within the memory of man, and only waited for us to go on board. Accordingly, we went on board, with as little delay as might be. He was as good as his word, and started directly. It certainly was not called a small steamboat without reason i omitted to ask the question but i should think it must have been of about half a pony power mr pap the celebrated dwarf might have lived and died happily in the cabin which was fitted with common sash windows like an ordinary dwelling-house these windows had bright red curtains too hung on slack strings across the lower panes, so that it looked like the parlor of a Lilliputian public-house, which had got afloat in a flood or some or other water accident, and was drifting nobody knew where. But even in this chamber there was a rocking-chair. It would be impossible to get on anywhere in America without a rocking-chair. I'm afraid to tell how many feet short this vessel was, or how many feet narrow to apply the words length and width to such measurement would be a contradiction in terms but i may state that we all kept the middle of the deck lest the boat should unexpectedly tip over and that the machinery by some surprising process of condensation worked between it and the keel the whole forming a warm sandwich about three feet thick it rained all day as once i thought it never did rain anywhere but in the highlands of scotland The river was full of floating blocks of ice which were constantly crunching and cracking under us, and the depth of water in the course we took to avoid the larger masses carried down the middle of the river by the current did not exceed a few inches. Nevertheless, we moved onward dexterously, and, being well wrapped up, bade defiance to the weather and enjoyed the journey. The Connecticut River is a fine stream and the banks in summertime are, I have no doubt, beautiful. At all events, I was told so by a young lady in the cabin, and she should be a judge of beauty, if the possession of quality include the appreciation of it, for a more beautiful creature I never looked upon. After two hours and a half of this odd travelling, including a stoppage at a small town where we were saluted by a gun considerably bigger than our own chimney, we reached Hartford, and straightway repaired to an extremely comfortable hotel except as usual in the article of bedrooms which in almost every place we visited were very conducive to early rising we tarried here four days the town is beautifully situated in a basin of green hills the soil is rich well wooded and carefully improved it is the seat of the local legislature of connecticut whose sage body enacted in bygone times the renowned Code of Blue Laws, in virtue whereof, among other enlightened provisions, any citizen who could be proved to have kissed his wife on Sunday was punishable, I believe, with the stocks. Too much of the old Puritan spirit exists in these parts to the present hour, but its influence has not tended, that I know, to make the people less hard in their bargains or more equal in their dealings. As I never heard of its working that effect anywhere else, I infer that it never will here.' Indeed, I am accustomed, with reference to great professions and severe faces, to judge of the goods of the other world pretty much as I judge of the goods of this; and wherever I see a dealer in such commodities with too great a display of them in his window, I doubt the quality of the article within. In Hartford stands the famous oak in which the charter of King Charles was hidden. It is now englossed in a gentleman's garden. In the State House is the charter itself. I found the courts of law here just the same as at Boston, the public institutions almost as good. The insane asylum is admirably conducted, and so is the institution for the deaf and dumb. I very much question within myself as I walked through the insane asylum whether I should have known the attendance from the patients, but for the few words which passed between the former and the doctor in reference to the persons under their charge. Of course I limit this remark merely to their looks, for the conversations of the mad people was mad enough. There was one little, prim old lady, of very smiling and good-humoured appearance, who came sidling up to me from the end of a long passage, and with a curtsey of inexpressible condescension propounded the unaccountable inquiry. "'Does Pontefract still flourish, sir, upon the soil of England?' "'He does, ma'am,' I rejoined when you last saw him, sir, he was well, ma'am,' said I, extremely well. He begged me to present his compliments. I never saw him looking better. At this, the old lady was very much delighted. After glancing at me for a moment, as if to be quite sure that I was serious in my respectful air, she sidled back some paces, sidled forward again, made a sudden skip, at which I perceptibly retreated a step or two, and said— "'I am an antediluvian, sir.' "'I thought the best thing to say was that I suspected as much from the first. Therefore I said so.' "'It is an extremely proud and pleasant thing, sir, to be an antediluvian,' said the old lady. "'I should think it was, ma'am,' I rejoined. The old lady kissed her hand, gave another skip, smirked and sidled down the gallery in a most extraordinary manner, and ambled gracefully into her own bedchamber in another part of the building there was a male patient in bed very much flushed and heated well said he starting up and pulling off his nightcap it's all settled at last i have arranged it with queen victoria arranged what asked the doctor why that business passing his hand wearily across his forehead about the siege of new york oh said i like a man suddenly enlightened he looked at me for an answer. Yes. Every house without a signal will be fired upon by British troops. No harm shall be done to the others. No harm at all. Those that want to be safe must hoist flags. That's all they have to do. They must hoist flags." Even while he was speaking he seemed, I thought, to have some faint idea that his talk was incoherent. Directly he had said these words, he lay down again, gave a kind of a groan, and covered his hot head with the blankets. There was another, a young man, whose madness was love and music. After playing on the accordion a he had composed, he was very anxious that I should walk into his chamber, which I immediately did. By way of being very knowing at humoring him to the top of his bent, I went to the window, which commanded a beautiful prospect, and remarked, with an address upon which I greatly plumed myself, "'What a delicious country you have about these lodgings of yours!' Oh, said he, moving his fingers carelessly across the notes of his instrument. "'Well, enough for such an institution as this. "'I don't think I was ever so taken aback in all my life.' "'I come here just for a whim,' he said coolly. "'That's all.' "'Oh, that's all,' said I. "'Yes, that's all. "'The doctor's a smart man. "'He quite enters into it. "'It's a joke of mine. "'I like it for a time. "'You needn't mention it, but I think I shall go out next Tuesday.' I assured him that I would consider our interview perfectly confidential, and rejoined the doctor. As we were passing through a gallery on our way out, a well-dressed lady of quiet and composed manners came up and proffered a slip of paper and a pen, begged that I would oblige her with an autograph. I complied, and we parted. I think I remember having had a few interviews like that with ladies out of doors. I hope she is not mad. Yes. On what subject? Autographs? No, she hears voices in the air. Well, thought I, it would be well if we could shut up a few false prophets of these later times, who have professed to do the same, and I should like to try the experiment of a Mormonist or two to begin with. In this place there is the best jail for untried offenders in the world. There is also a very well-ordered state prison arranged upon the same plan as that of Boston, except that here there is always a sentry on the wall with a loaded gun, It contained at that time about two hundred prisoners. A spot was shown me in the sleeping ward, where a watchman was murdered some years since, in the dead of night, in a desperate attempt to escape made by a prisoner who had broken from his cell. A woman, too, was pointed out to me, who, for the murder of her husband, had been a close prisoner for sixteen years. Do you think, I asked of my conductor, that after so very long an imprisonment she has any thought or hope of ever regaining her liberty? oh dear yes he answered to be sure she has she has no chance of obtaining it i suppose well i don't know which by the bye is a national answer her friends mistrust her what have they to do with it i naturally inquired well they won't petition but if they did they couldn't get her out i suppose well not the first time perhaps nor yet the second but tiring and wearying for a few years might do it does that ever do it why yes that'll do it sometimes Political friends will do it sometimes. It's pretty often done one way or another. I shall always entertain a very pleasant and grateful recollection of Hartford. It is a lovely place, and I had many friends there which I can never remember with indifference. We left it with no little regret on the evening of Friday the 11th, and travelled that night by railroad to New Haven.' upon the way the guard and i were formally introduced to each other as we usually were on such occasions and exchanged a variety of small talk we reached new haven at about eight o'clock after a journey of three hours and put up for the night at the best inn new haven known also as the city of elms is a fine town many of its streets as its alias sufficiently imports are planted with rows of grand old elm trees and the same natural ornaments surround Yale College, an establishment of considerable eminence and reputation. The various departments of this institution are erected in a kind of park or a common in the middle of town, where they are dimly visible among the shadowing trees. The effect is very like that of an old cathedral yard in England, and when their branches are in full leaf must be extremely picturesque. Even in the wintertime these groups of well-grown trees clustering among the busy streets and houses of a thriving city, have a very quaint appearance, seeming to bring about a kind of compromise between town and country, as if each had met the other half-way, and shaken hands upon it, which is at once novel and pleasant. After a night's rest we rose early, and in good time went down to the wharf and on board the packet New York for New York. This was the first American steamboat of any size that I had seen and certainly to an English eye it was infinitely less like a steamboat than a huge floating bath. I could hardly persuade myself, indeed, but that the bathing establishments off Westminster Bridge, which I left a baby, had suddenly grown to an enormous size, ran away from home, and set up in foreign parts as a steamer. Being in America, too, which our vagabonds do so particularly favour, it seemed the more probable. The great difference in appearance between these packets and ours is that there is so much of them out of the water, the main deck being enclosed on all sides and filled with casks and goods, like any second or third floor in a stack of warehouses, and the promenade or hurricane deck being on top of that again, a part of the machinery is always above this deck, where the connecting rod, in a strong and lofty frame, is seen working away like an iron top-sawyer there is seldom any mast or tackle nothing aloft but two tall black chimneys the man at the helm is shut up in a little house in the fore part of the boat the wheel being connected with the rudder by iron chains working the whole length of the deck and the passengers unless the weather be very fine indeed usually congregate below directly you have left the wharf all the life and stir and bustle of a packet cease You wonder for a long time how she goes on, for there seems to be nobody in charge of her. And when another of these dull machines comes splashing by, you feel quite indignant with it, as a sullen, cumbrous, ungraceful, unship-like leviathan, quite forgetting that the vessel you are on board of is its very counterpart. There is always a clerk's office on this lower deck, where you pay your fare. A lady's cabin, baggage and stowage rooms, engineer's room, and, in short, a great variety of perplexities which rendered the discovery of the gentleman's cabin a matter of some difficulty. It often occupies the whole length of the boat, as it did in this case, and has three or four tiers of berths on each side. When I first descended into the cabin of the New York, it looked in my unaccustomed eyes about as long as the Burlington Arcade. The sound which has to be crossed on this passage is not always a very safe or pleasant navigation and has been the scene of some unfortunate accidents it was a wet morning and very misty and we soon lost sight of land the day was calm however and brightened towards noon after exhausting with good help from a friend the larder and the stock of bottled beer i lay down to sleep being very much tired with the fatigues of yesterday but I woke from my nap in time to hurry up and see Hellgate, the Hogsback, the Frying-Pan, and other notorious localities attractive to all readers of famous Diedrich Knickerbocker's history. We were now in a narrow channel, with sloping banks on either side, besprinkled with pleasant villas, and made refreshing to the sight by turf and trees. Soon we shot in quick succession past a lighthouse, a madhouse, How the lunatics flung up their caps and roared in sympathy with the headlong engine and the driving tide, a jail, and other buildings, and so emerged into a noble bay whose waters sparkled in the now cloudless sunshine like nature's eyes turned up to heaven. Then there lay stretched out before us, to the right, confused heaps of buildings, with here and there a spire or steeple looking down upon the herd below and here and there again a cloud of lazy smoke, and in the foreground a forest of ships-mast, cheery with flapping sails and waving flags. Crossing from among them to the opposite shore were steam ferry-boats, laden with people, couches, horses, wagons, baskets, boxes, crossed and recrossed by other ferry-boats, all travelling to and fro and never idle. Stately among these restless insects were two or three large ships moving with slow, majestic pace as creatures of a prouder kind, disdainful of their puny journeys and making for the broad sea. Beyond were shining heights and islands in the glancing river, and a distance scarcely less blue and bright than the sky it seemed to meet. The city's hum and buzz, the clinking of capstans, the ringing of bells, the barking of dogs, The clattering of wheels tingled in the listening ear, all of which, life and stir, coming across the stirring water, caught new life and animation from its free companionship, and sympathizing with its buoyant spirits, glistened, as it seemed, in sport upon its surface, and hemmed the vessel round, and plashed the water high about her sides, and, floating her gallantly into the dock, flew off again to welcome other comers, and speed before them to the busy port. End of chapter 5